Okay, uh, hello, uh, good evening. I'm Luke Harding. Thanks, uh, Helena. Very good to uh, open 5 by 15 this evening. Um, when I was here two years ago, I was talking about the murder of Alexander Livinenko, who, uh, as you will recall, was, was killed in 2006 with a radioactive cup of tea. Uh, it was an extraordinary story. M my role in it um, was also a bit strange. I, I flew to Moscow on one of the um, planes contaminated with radioactive polonium. Um, Litvinenko died uh, that November, and about two weeks afterwards, I got a letter from British Airways saying, uh, Dear Mr. Harding, we regret to inform you that the, the plane you traveled on was contaminated with polonium. Uh, and then it said, If you have any concerns, ring NHS Direct. <laughs> So, so uh, you know, I, I called NHS Direct and I was in that kind of phone hell with Dahl, one for chest pains, two for breathing difficulties, and I thought, well, firstly, I thought, there's not going to be a Dahl 127 if you've been on a plane carrying a, a deadly isotope as part of a, a Cold War-style plot, um, and, and I also thought that this story, which... Uh, was the basis of a, a book I wrote, A Very Expensive Poison, would never be repeated. And just quickly to reprise that, what we found in 2016, uh, there was a public inquiry which told us that this was indeed an operation uh, plotted and executed by the FSB, the spy agency that Vladimir Putin headed before he became prime minister and president, uh, and that Putin himself had probably approved the um, operation. So... Um, I was wrong. Uh, if we go to, to March of this year, March of 2018, we, we had um, an astonishing story on a similar scale to Livinenko featuring uh, Sergei Skripal on the left and Yulia Skripal's daughter on the right. Now, Sergei Skripal, unlike Alexander Livinenko, was... Uh, well, I mean, he, they were both um, intelligence operatives, but he was swapped out of Russia, having been jailed for espionage for working with... British intelligence. Um, and uh, unlike Livinenko, who was a kind of outspoken and public critic of, of Putin's, Skripal uh, led a kind of modest, almost dull life in uh, provincial Salisbury. Um, and uh, of course, as you know, he was, he was found comatose on a bench uh, with his daughter um, one Sunday afternoon. And uh, it turned out that, uh, according to the British government, he'd been poisoned with, with Novichok, a kind of lethal, super deadly uh, toxin developed in, in secret facilities in the late Soviet Union in the 1990s. So we, we had this story again. We had uh, sort of scenes of, of, of kind of incongruous horror uh, in the shopping center and, and guys in hazmat suits running around. Uh, and most of all, we had an accusation from the British government to Moscow that... Uh, Putin was again responsible um, and I think I would just say briefly that uh, I, I find the British government's case persuasive uh, I think only only Putin's Russia would have the motive to do this to to try and whack uh, a, a former intelligence officer who um, anybody who betrays the Russian state and collaborates with Western intelligence is regarded as a traitor that's the motive and and the means I think were uh, pretty demonstrative, uh, despite official denials from Moscow. Um, and um, I think, actually, that Skripal, um, although he was obviously the target, was essentially the instrument. And I think the wider target was, was Britain. Um, I think Britain at the moment is Vladimir Putin's least favorite country. Uh, 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 but I also think the message was um, sent to 
the Russian elite, and in particular, anybody from the spy agencies um, who is thinking of collaborating with the West, and in particular with Western intelligence. Uh, and, and lastly, I, I would say the, the, the Skripal uh, poisoning was uh, a message to this man. Uh, how many people here know who this is? Do, do we all know? Oh, okay, well, this is Christopher Steele, the uh, uh, author of the Steele dossier, who, who connects all of these things together. He was, um, uh, the, the, when he was working for MI6, he, he investigated Litvinenko's murder and kind of concluded this was a state-run assassination. And uh, additionally, um, he, of course, authored the, the, the Trump dossier, um, which set off the kind of huge scandal which continues to sort of rage in Washington. Um, and um, in my book, Collusion, the kind of prologue opens with my <clears throat> meeting Christopher Steele in December 2016. Um, and he, he, he's been portrayed by Trump's kind of Republican allies as a sort of left-wing agitator, polemicist. And actually, he's nothing of the kind. I, I went to see him with a colleague at his office in Victoria, um, uh, just just round the round the corner from from Buckingham Palace in the Queen's back garden, um, and we went inside his uh, private business consultancy Orbis. There was a kind of map on the uh, of the world on the wall, um, and inside his kind of director's office were a series of nesting dolls uh, of of great 19th century Russian writers Tolstoy, Pushkin, Lermontov, and so on, and. It sort of seemed to me that this was the kind of almost the sort of best metaphor for what he was doing secretly at this stage, which was to try and unnestle this story, extraordinary story of how um, the Kremlin tried to basically fix the, the 2016 election for Donald Trump. Um, and so uh, we had a cup of tea uh, in, in the Shakespeare pub just around the corner from his office. Um, still... Uh, like the former spy he was, didn't say a huge amount. He was rather reticent. We, we talked about our investigation into Trump and how uh, all investigative journalists at this point were trying to answer a, a fairly simple question, which was, how is it that Donald Trump is so uh, polite uh, and nice and, and sort of kissy-kissy uh, about Vladimir Putin when he's so uh, abominably rude about everyone else on the planet? Uh, and this sort of strange fealty from Trump to Putin, which we saw when he was a candidate, which we saw when he was president-elect, and which we still see even today. I was watching um, uh, this morning James Comey's interview um, with ABC News and George Stephanopoulos, where Comey was saying, among other things, apart from likening Trump to a mafia boss, uh, was, was saying that even in private, Trump refuses to criticize Vladimir Putin. So something strange was going on. Um, and still... He said nothing about his dossier. He merely intimated that we should follow the money in, in classic Watergate fashion uh, and also follow the sex. Now, now, I've done a lot of investigations, but I'm not quite sure how one follows the sex uh, as, a, as a journalist, but that, that was the message. And then, of course, his dossier came out in uh, January of last year essentially uh, saying that, that Trump was compromised, that Putin had leverage over him, um, and uh, had, that Putin had been assisting him for at least five years before the presidential election. Um, and so my book, <clears throat> Collusion, is an attempt to kind of wrap all this together, to, to tell the story of Donald Trump and Russia, uh, and also to go back to uh, the Cold War, because I think to, to understand what happened and what's happening in our, in our chaotic 21st century world, we, we need to look at 
Cold War methods and KGB methods, um, and in particular a trip that Donald Trump made in the summer of 1987 to Soviet Moscow. Uh, oh yeah, th these are the two besties together. But the, uh, so th th there he is. Uh, that's a kind of slightly younger-looking Donald Trump. On the left is Ivana, his then wife. Uh, that's them in in Leningrad. Um, and essentially, one of the things I discovered when I was researching this story was that. Um, Trump was essentially brought over to Moscow in the late 1980s by the KGB. Uh, now, that sounds a bold claim, but uh, essentially his transport was arranged by Interest, which, which essentially was the KGB, uh, the sort of official state travel agency. Um, and um, uh, someone called Yuri Dabinin, who was the then Soviet ambassador to Washington, arrived um, fresh off the plane from, from Moscow at the beginning of his posting. And the first thing he did was to, to go to Trump Tower, take the elevator up, um, and knock on the door, introduce himself to Trump, and say, say, Mr. Trump, you are a visionary. You have made the most beautiful building in America. Uh, you know, we, the Soviet Union, admire you. Now, that sounds fairly innocuous, but what you have to understand is there's a kind of backstory to this um, of... Uh, essentially, the KGB during this period in the 1980s, um, the head, someone called Vladimir Khrushchev, um, complaining that, that the KGB was doing too little, uh, too, uh, too little against the main enemy, the main enemy being America, and that it needed to recruit more Americans. Um, and what Khrushchev did in a series of top secret memos, which he circulated around his sort of KGB heads of station in London and Washington and Paris, was send a, a, a personality questionnaire of the kind of people that the KGB was interested in cultivating. And there was a list. It was quite a long document. And they were looking for people who were vain, uh, narcissistic, <laughs> unfaithful to their wives, <laughs> without scruple and deeply interested in money, uh, and poor analysts. Um, and uh, you go down this list and there's one candidate who, who emerges very strongly from this kind of selection process, and of course it's Donald Trump. Um, and <clears throat> bear in mind that he'd already married someone from behind the um, Iron Curtain. He had a father-in-law still living in, in communist Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakian spies had kept an eye on the Trumps in Manhattan. Um, and so. Trump goes to Moscow, he um, uh, talks about building a hotel there, which never comes off, uh, and there's a curious kind of epilogue to this trip, which is that, that about four weeks after he returns from the Soviet Union, he takes out three full-page adverts in uh, high-profile American newspapers criticizing Ronald Reagan's foreign policy, and he also lets it be known that he is thinking of a new career, he is thinking about entering politics, and he is thinking about becoming president of the United States. This is already in, in the summer of 1987. So this is not to say that Donald Trump um, is a, a full KGB colonel. What it is, uh, although the, the image is quite arresting if you imagine the uniform and all the medals and the Brezhnevian eyebrows, um, but, but, but more that uh, the Soviet Union and Russia have a kind of interest in him. And this, I think, was rebooted about sort of 2011, 2012, 2013, when, of course, Donald Trump uh, flew to Moscow for the Miss Universe beauty pageant um, and, according to the Trump dossier, had a, let's say, a kind of a pretty exotic time in the penthouse suite of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And James Comey was talking about this too yesterday. Um, and I think what we can say is 
we we don't know whether whether Donald Trump watched a show um, that evening. But what I can tell you from my own um, uh, rather kind of bittersweet experience is that the KGB successor, the FSB, has a long history of trying to seduce uh, high-profile targets from the West, Americans, British diplomats, and so on, that, that it used to have a special department where it would send um, young women to, to try and... I mean, I talked to one former British intelligence officer who, who told me he was traveling on the Trans-Siberian Railway and a bit like from Russia with love, a, a, a woman came in very young wearing a diaphanous blouse saying, you know, I would like to practice my English. Uh, uh, and uh, so th these tactics are very old. Um, when I was in Moscow, the FSB, Putin's former spy agency, broke repeatedly into the flat um, where I was living with my wife uh, and our two small kids. They were unhappy about the articles I was writing about the Litvinenko case, about the, the murder of, of, of political dissidents and opponents of the Putin regime. Uh, and we, we were bugged. Uh, uh, and also we were told by the British Embassy that the um, FSB had planted video, including in our bedroom, so they saw everything. Um, and uh, on one occasion, they even left a sex manual by the side of the bed in Russian, next to the kind of middle-class novels that I'm sure you, you, you all read in English. Uh, and they had, they had bookmarked it uh, to a page on orgasms, page 147. Uh, and uh, I, I was looking at this thinking, what message are the KGB trying to tell me? Uh, is there a frequency issue? Is there a technical problem that they've detected when they were kind of pressing wind and rewind? Uh, is it that we're just too conservative for, for their perhaps more adventurous tastes? I, I don't know. But I, I can tell you from the personal experience that this is what they do. So there will be a tape uh, of Donald Trump in Moscow. Uh, I'm told there are multiple tapes. Uh, no, no one tweet this because it's unverified, but I'm also told that other Eastern Bloc agencies have tapes, uh, and uh, Vladimir Putin will know, will know what's on the tape, and Donald Trump will know what's on the tape. And I, I think, uh, I mean, there's, there's clearly more to come in this story. We have a series of indictments. Uh, we had a raid 10 days ago on uh, the offices and home of Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer, who also features in the Steele dossier. And uh, my view is that... The, the flames are now in the White House garden. I mean, they haven't come into the, the, the Oval Office yet, but, but when Trump looks out, he can, see, he can see orange. I mean, the orange man can see orange, uh, it kind of engulfing him. And I think, I think the Mueller invest investigation is probably mortal for Trump in some form, which is not to say that he'll be impeached, but uh, he's clearly the most scandalous president that anyone can remember. Uh, and what's going on now is, is not normal. Uh, it really is not normal. This is not normal times that we live in. Um, uh, and I would just say, <clears throat> by way of closing, that I, uh, other investigative journalists, people from what you might call the fourth estate, we, we have been investigating this story furiously for a long period. It's been difficult. Uh, we uh, operate in, in a cacophonous world where the president, where, where Putin, where um, all of their kind of agencies and supporters pump out disinformation, dismiss all criticism as as fake news um, and say, say that what we produce is rubbish. Well, it, it, it's not rubbish. Uh, it, it, is, it is true. As soon as we verify, we, we publish as true as we can make it. Um, and I would just lastly sort of urge, urge you to support us, to, to 
buy The Guardian if you don't like The Guardian, buy The Telegraph um, if you don't like The Telegraph, buy something else, but, but kind of come into this kind of civic space with us. Uh, we need a kind of another enlightenment. We need um, good method. We need empiricism. We need rationality. Uh, and I, I would say, um, let, let's try and be in this space. Uh, and if we can kind of love each other as well and have a good evening this evening, then great. And thank you.